Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Today, we have an exciting episode for you to listen to. And uh, joining me is Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good. Um, isn't it crazy how you and I were talking about this before we record, but the summer is supposed to kind of like slow down, but how busy you and I both have been this summer? How crazy is that? It is. It's 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 interesting because, like, I mean, I think about. And I don't necessarily know it's for me. I think it's for like a lot of people. Like, I was talking to a parent because we had a youth gathering at someone's house, and we we're talking to a parent, and we have a Labor Day retreat, youth retreat that the church has done every year. So we we do it, and um, and the one parent was like, "Oh," and we're talking about it, and she's like, "Yeah, I have to." kind of see if that's something that my daughter wants to do because she's just been busy traveling for vacation, doing swim stuff, going to camps, going on this missions trip, um, all these things. And um, it's like, I don't want to push my student to do more stuff um, because I, I know if I push them too hard, then they're just going to shut down and going to get very snippy. So I'm just kind of, which then, of course, later I mentioned it. And her student's like, well, I want to go. I want to go. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> well, go tell your mom about it. So she like ran inside to tell her mom, hey, I want to go. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just been a busy summer. And I don't know if that's because I don't remember being busy pre-pandemic. Or is it just we're busy now because the pandemic's kind of done and we're just at the point where we just want to be super busy and kind of live our lives? Because I don't know, there might be another pandemic a p- pandemic on the loom or with the presidential election uh, coming up next year. Like people are like, oh, let's go and do stuff before things get crazy. I don't know what cases but yeah why would why would things get crazy during a presidential election year i don't know i feel like ever since 2000 i feel like ever since 2019 you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about it well hearing about it and i think there's to a point where people even though we've had this time of rest i guess we're not hearing about politics all the time um we're starting to get to that gearing up to that election season. And I'm sure that's what we're all going to hear about. And I'm not looking too forward to it because (laughs) I feel like politics now, instead of politics, like five years ago have become very, uh, very um, hostile as far as people's able to have proper discourse with, with one another about differences in, politics and policies yeah i think you know i i think you're right like i think that there's this this preconceived notion where people can't have conversations anymore because you believe something so passionately one way or so passionately the other and we we live in a time and a place where um in history where it's it's just everything is you know pins and needles everything is you know everything is very harsh and very ever you know everybody's very judgmental of the way um you know they treat each other or judgmental towards the way that they treat each other because and that's just not that's not okay either and it's very disheartening because you know we're called to love each other as christ loved the church and you know as pastors and leaders it's like yeah you have to kind of take a stand politically but we're supposed to kind of stay out of it at the same time and, and share what we believe. And, and hopefully that lines up with, with what people believe in the church and the churches that, you know, we're pastoring and leading, but, you know, there's always going to be places where there's going to be division. And um, yeah, I, you know, leading into the 2020 election, that was, you know, super weird and, you know, COVID happened and, and then the midterms happened and everybody thought that it was just going to be this huge, you know, um, I don't know, conservative takeover from where the, you know, the Democrats had, you know, the House, the White House and the Senate. And so Republicans only ended up getting the House and um, the Democrats still have the Senate and the White House. And it's like, well, 
maybe it's not there. Maybe it's not as even as we thought. Maybe it's not as, you know, who knows? Like I, I, I'm, you know, I sit back and I look and some of the things that you see on TV are just absolute garbage. And some of the, the comments and the, I'm like, why are we even having these conversations? How is this for the betterment of humanity and the betterment of our country? Um, and then there's other things where I'm just like, this should not be that hard. And why we've been doing this for 200 years as a country, uh, not to get down a huge rabbit hole, uh, in politics, but like it, it, yeah, I can, I can see where, you know, you said, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of looming over us and it's, you know, it's getting ready to ramp up. And I think I saw something over the weekend where they had a big conservative meeting in the state of Florida over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so they had like a lot of, it was a, I don't know if it was CPAC, it was some sort of conservative meeting and they had all the candidates that are running for president in the 2024 election so far um, come and, and, and be interviewed by, by conservative media outlets. And um, so anyway, it, it's coming, right? <laughs> all I have to say is it's coming. And, you know, I hope and pray that it's just as, I hope it's better this time than it was last time. Cause last time just seemed to be really, really ugly, especially like you said, in 2019 into 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we uh, dive into our stories gone wild and our main topic today, um, last week or actually a couple weeks ago, we posted uh, our um, episode on pastoral PTSD and we ended up getting a comment from somebody and they okay. gave us a book recommendation. Uh, they said that they just read the new book, Raised to Stay by Natalie Runnin. It's about church hurt, very much worth reading. So yeah, I haven't checked it out yet, but apparently there is a book out there that kind of addresses kind of what we talked about the other day or the other day, the other couple weeks. So uh, yeah, um, yeah, so. Uh, well, at least there's stuff out there. There's yeah, materials oh, for that. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't know if they actually addresses the topic of PTSD. Like that would be... Um, Interesting. I may just look that up while we're doing stories gone wild. Scott, um, while you were in your, um, you shared in that episode about going on a healing retreat. Was there any kind of curriculum that they gave you? Yes. That? So, yeah. So, yeah, they gave us a bunch of curriculum. So, the one thing they did is they had us read, uh, had us read a book, um, the kind of before we, we showed up. And then we actually had like a, so there's a couple things. The first thing they did is they, gave us kind of this um how do i put it it's basically a um a self inventory so you write all your information and then they ask you like you know do you have any medical needs does your family have a history of mental illness um they kind of ask you about why you're there have you been here before um kind of a big situation um you know they ask you a bunch of questions about kind of why you're here, any family history with mental health. They add, I mean, it's basically a very um, exhaustive inventory because again, like when you go to counseling, you know, that very first session you go to is very much like they're just trying to get to know you. Why are you here? You know, what, what goals would you like to accomplish? Um, and when you're there for an intensive week, it's almost like they want to get all that paperwork ahead of time. So you're, counselor that you're paired up with is reading through all this stuff so that they can say okay here it is and then you have like a workbook and then you also have like a book that you read and then you kind of fill stuff out and then you bring it with you on your um on your trip so then that way you always have stuff so then when your counselor's like hey in your workbook what did you write for there and just kind of talk a little bit about it so it's almost like you're trying to, since it's very intensive, they're trying to do as much background information, as much homework. So when you go there, you're ready to go and you're ready to do talk about whatever so that you can have a better um, experience, a, a better coherence. Yeah. So so that book by uh, Natalie um, Runan, uh, Ruin says it's um, Race to Stay, Preserving in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. So it's basically, um, so yeah, it's basically a book about church hurt, but it's also about redemption, 
And um, kind of the big thing, they have like big three core concepts, you know, validating your validating uh, your exhaustion on kind of why you're like, I- I'm ready to go. Uh, recognizing your wounds. So, you know, don't dismiss them. And then also hope for your faith. So it's kind of, those are kind of like the three cores of this book. So uh, church hurt, um, ministry hurt, not necessarily talking about PTSD, but may hit on it a little bit. Plus, from what I know, Natalie Ruin is not a, um, is not a uh, counselor therapist, um, but she is a worship leader and songwriter and a sought after speaker. But this is the first time I've heard for hers, heard of her. So, uh, but as she's out in Colorado, probably maybe on the West Coast, but not so much us East Coast uh, or Midwesterners here. Um, anyway, stories gone wild. Micah, do you have a stories gone wild for us? That's, I thought it was funny. You said Midwesterners. Midwesterners. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say Bible belts. The Bible, all the different Bible belts and flavors of the. <laughs> yes. Um. So the story's on wild. Nothing major uh, this week. It's been a busy week, and we we shared about that at the top of the episode. But like, it's a busy season, man. Like, I know that you're doing your PhD program. I'm doing my master's, and. I was the the idiot that decided to take three summer classes in one summer and they're month sprint courses. So I'm doing a class every single month through the, the, the course of the summer. And like, I think that's part of the reason why I think summer's flying and so busy is because I'm basically writing and doing something course related for my degree the entire summer. Um, but stories gone wild yesterday. We, uh, Alicia and I got home and we, we have a three bedroom house, but like Alicia works from home. One of the spare bedrooms is like her office for the week when she's at home. And, um, she's like, man, it just gets really hot up here during the summer. And do you think we could install a ceiling fan? Now, if you know me, I am not Mr. Mechanical. I am not Mr. Home Improvement. I'm not Mr. Fix It. Like those things are not in my, my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. In fact, electric scares the crap out of me right so like it's <laughs> like i'm I'm so, so afraid i'm gonna get shocked or i'm gonna do the wrong wire or something's you know it's fairly easy right like that kind of stuff is fairly easy so anyway we went to menards we bought a ceiling fan with a light and alicia and i successfully installed a ceiling fan which woohoo great um we then come out and realized that like our internet's not working I'm like, why is the internet working? So I go over because we have a modem, we have a router. The modem's completely shot. It had been storming all day Saturday, but like it still worked Saturday night into Sunday. So I don't think it was a storm. And so I'm like, well, maybe it's the power cord. So we we order a power cable on Amazon. And by the way, I just think it's incredible that Amazon can get me something in like an hour or two at my house if I really needed something bad enough. So mm-hmm. they they had it to my house in an hour. So I sit there on my couch with this modem, plug it in. Sure enough, it's not the power cable. It's the modem. And the, the modem has completely died. So I call I call Spectrum, which is who our provider is. And Scott, how familiar are you with this area where I'm at? Like kind of that you're uh, northeast not Ohio. Too so there we live in Trenton, which is in between Middletown and Oxford. We work in Oxford. There used to be a Spectrum store, which was, you know, 10 minutes away from us in Middletown. They closed that store and the closest stores in Westchester, which is closer to Cincinnati. I have to drive all the way to Cincinnati just to switch this route or modem out so that they can give me a new one. I mean, it's not going to cost me anything, but as you know, we need internet to do everything. And so I can't do my meetings today. I can't do... uh the podcast with you today i can't do so anyway i'm currently sitting at the church that we just so happen to share stories <laughs> gone wild about a lot in this segment um because i'm doing some work for them and i'm just sitting here and i'm, I'm using their wi-fi because without wi-fi we can't do work in 2023 so that's my story's gone wild just trying to get that modem fixed and uh in 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 the um in the midst of having a super busy monday which you know two-thirds of my day requires internet so what's your story 
Oh man. So how do I so, where do I begin? Where do I begin? Because this is probably one of the one things where I'm like, that is probably the weirdest, craziest thing I've ever heard. So Ashland University has done a mail merge, which basically they are moving from Gmail to go to Outlook for all their email needs for faculty, staff, students, etc. So it was interesting because I was talking to our head of our doctorate program. I was talking to her and I was like, oh, hey, how's, how's everything with you with this whole mail merger? Because there's been some communication, but not really. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you have to go Outlook. So any mail, and it's still like the same thing. It's like my email is still like, you know, stedman at ashland.edu. But you now have to go access all that stuff through Outlook. So the part of it is some files, especially right in that weird area where everything got merged over, there's some stuff that kind of got lost in the shuffle and other stuff that I've had saved is not over on this Outlook thing. So talking to her and she said, oh yeah, you know, it was good. I was a big early adopter of it. But then I started to have issues um, to the point where the IT people at, Ashland were like, what's all this demon like email stuff? Can we just delete all this stuff? And she's like, no, those are people's projects. Those are correspondence with students to make sure that I have a paper trail of so we know where they're at in the process, what questions they've had, if they've had questions, if you know, if they're trying to get a hold of their advisor and they can't get a hold of them, so they contact the the dean of the doctorate program saying, hey, I can't get a hold of my advisor. You know, she has record of that. So that, you know, eventually when year seven comes around and they're not done and she's like, hey, how come you're not done? They say, oh, remember my advisor, you know, passed away and no one knew about it or or whatever case may be. And it's like, oh, okay, I have a paper trail. Okay, we can we can do an extension for you because because of this. So. So that's weird. And then we were talking about how, and then I was talking a little bit about just like how I've always had Gmail ever since I uh, was in my master's and even now with my doctorate when I've been at Ashland. And Don mentioned that there was a time, because there's a time where if you were an alumni of the seminary, you got to keep your ashland.edu email. So I graduated from my master's. I still have my email. Am I using it for much? No, not really, but it does have like all paperwork or any notes I've had for my professors, um, especially in counseling. I also had all my um, worksheets, like how to like do um, diagnosis. Like I had all my worksheets there. So that was all in that default. And then eventually they said, Ashlyn said, okay, we're not going to have your email anymore. So here's the way you can transfer all your stuff from this one to a different email that you already have. Okay. This was years ago. I found out that one time Don got a call from a pastor because he couldn't access his email. So Don's talking to him and she finds out that he's no longer a student at Ashland. Got his master's there, no longer a student. Um, but then she found out that, oh, because they no longer are offering the email address to alumni anymore, mainly because of legal reasons, um, that that's why he doesn't have it. Well, he starts panicking because that ashland.edu email was his main email for all church correspondence as a pastor. Meetings people's prayer requests, all of it gone. And, and, and it's been credit to Don. I'm sitting there listening to this. I'm like, how did this person not have another email or even a church email or even just like a personal email? Why would you use a university email address to a university you're not attending anymore for all your, so 
luckily, and this was, I don't know how long this was after everything shut down, but luckily Ashland University was able to find all this guy's emails and stuff, was able to reactivate his email address and said, okay, you have 30 days to transfer all your stuff to a new email account. But I thought that was the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I mean, I could imagine if I'm working at the church right now, they didn't have like a email address. If I had to just use like whatever random one I made up through Gmail or Outlook or Hotmail or whatever, <laughs> or Yahoo mail, like whatever. Like the fact that I'm using a university email address and all of a sudden, all my correspondence with my church people, all my meetings, notes, everything's gone because the university's like, yeah, you're not a student here anymore. So we're deactivating your email. <laughs> well, a couple of things on that one. <laughs> like for me, I have my work email. I have a personal email. Mm. And Alicia and I have a joint email. As an employee of Miami, even though I'm a graduate student, I still have my Miami email address. Like mm -hmm. it's it's there. Um, I remember when I did my capstone project a couple of weeks ago. I was panicked because I was like, "Well, this is like a twenty-five, you know, twenty to twenty-five page document. I don't want to lose this, right?" So, like, I'm I downloaded a copy and I emailed it to all my email addresses. I downloaded it to my desktop. I downloaded it to my phone. Like, just until my professor had it in her hands and so she could grade it, right? Because I was super paranoid that it wasn't going to, you know, for whatever reason, right? I'm super cautious about those things. The other thing is that, like, Miami told, uh, Miami's told folks recently because they're doing, because of the cost of space, like, IT services has to pay to, like, um, you know, keep a, keep a, infrastructure of email addresses afloat like you know we're talking i don't know 20 30,000 email addresses uh when you graduate i don't think you get to keep your email address anymore mm. but to your point scott like why didn't that guy have that stuff somewhere else or at least when they email because i mean if you're if that's your church email mm -hmm. and you're just constantly checking it over and over again like some people just don't delete stuff either. Yeah, but I would also say if you're constantly checking stuff, you should have at least got something. Because I got something saying, hey, you're no longer going to have your email address. They decided to move away from that. So you need to move your stuff over. And they in Ashland, for their credit, gave like a big email of here's how you do this. Mm -hmm. And then just double check and make sure everything went through. and. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually looking at the email right now, like just my random Gmail email. And sure enough, I'm looking, there's all my folders from spring quarter, from spring quarter to 2009, 2010, all my uh, documents, um, all my leadership resources, everything's in here. And it's like, it's not on my Ashland email anymore. Now it got reactivated because I became a doctorate student, but then you know, none of my stuff was still there. Like mm. it wasn't like all of a sudden just been sitting there dormant for years. And then I became a student and it was all back to normal. Like, no, like I have it all here. And so, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's stuff like that where I scratch my head a lot. <laughs> oh goodness. So as we kind of conclude stories gone wild uh, today, we're going to be talking about the topic of team building, especially for, ministry in churches so um back when i was working at summer camp we were always trained to do team building so i have been doing team building for probably a decade mm. um, not only through the camp but then when i went and got hired to be at the camp year-round for a couple years uh, there'd be times where i would um, travel to do team building things whether it be at different camps or I would go and work at the next camp over, the um, Heartland uh, camp right there in Marengo, which was part of the Assemblies of God. And I would be doing like team building for like Delta, 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 
or any type of fraternities or sororities, um, national women and men. So I was doing some high level um, team building uh, towards the end before I left the uh, camp ministry. And I always find it so fascinating how team building, doing these activities can really get people to be better leaders, uh, to be better critical thinkers, and to kind of apply it within their own context, whether it's ministry or a business or a organization of sororities, you know. So, um, so Micah, what has been your experience with um, team building? Yeah, kind of the same thing um, that you were kind of alluding to just a few minutes ago, but like the idea that, you know, I've been in ministry over a decade and uh, things work, things don't. And then you have to factor in all the things uh, that people might be going through outside of the four walls of the church. And it applies to, I mean, that, that whole concept applies to um, the secular world too. Like you have to build teams and have a good team morale in the workforce too. Um, and if you don't, people are going to not like to work for you and people aren't going to want to stick around and um, it can become a super toxic or super unhealthy situation. Um, I don't know which way you wanted to go with this. Did you want to see your church church wise first or? Yeah, I would say let's do stuff with churches because okay. I think at the end, um, It seems like to me that you have a with businesses, with universities, when you do a team building thing, you're usually paying somebody like a guide, a team building person to come in and do team building for your company. And I know when I was doing team building and we were talking about charging and how much would we charge, like um, the guy frankly told us charge the max amount of money for this thing and and the reason why he said that is because like you know we're a ministry we work at a camp so like if i have um you know the presbyterian church that you're attending they come and they want to hire me to do team building you know for a church i'm probably going to say okay you know i will charge if it's just a one-day thing pay my travel expenses and let's just say $200 and that will be, that would be suffice. Um, if it's someone like, Oh, Microsoft, uh, safe light, <laughs> safe life, auto glass, um, Miami university contacts me says, Hey, you want to, we want you to do team building for all our, our president, all our staff, everybody else like that. We want you to do it then I'm probably going to be charging you at least a couple thousand. Because mm -hmm. if I do anything low, they will look at that and they will see, well, that's not good quality because we want to pay for the best quality or at least for businesses. So they always expect more. And that was one thing that we learned was that, you know, churches, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to like start doing stuff with like capital university, which we've done some stuff with their leadership thing years ago, like, you know, you're probably going to charge at least maybe anywhere between seven and nine hundred dollars um, per day for this um, group, if, especially if they're doing a weekend thing. So, so yeah. So, um, but when it comes to churches, how many of them can afford to have someone? So you're probably just looking online or probably buy like a thing off a on Amazon about team building things. It's like these icebreaker questions and you're not really getting the type of quality that you need. Yeah. Um, kind of what I was thinking too, like what can you do within the teams that you already have established at your church and what kind of exercises can you perform and not, not necessarily hire like, let's just, you know, I want to build off of what you just said and not, if you can't hire somebody, you can afford somebody to come in and do consulting or uh, walk through um, coaching uh, leadership with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the, the idea that you uh, 
I'm trying to think like you, we've talked you and I've talked about small to mid-sized churches and the fact that they can't always afford something like a consulting company. They can't always afford somebody to come in and, you know, um, what if you have somebody in your church, like my situation right now, where I'm attending a church with my wife, I've helped this church in the past, I'm not on staff, but what if they have a night of worship or what if they have a night where they have their worship team come in and we just do some exercises where we can help equip them, show them some of their blind spots, um, sort of what you were doing during the season when you were you were in Virginia before you came back to Ohio, where you were just attending churches and these these pastors were like, what do you see? What can we do? What can we do you know, to improve upon things? I've also been in situations where I've been on staff at churches and it's the complete opposite where we have team building exercises throughout the year purposely to build our teams, to equip our teams, to show teams how they can improve on things. Like great example of that, I worked at a church where we used to do four times a year, we did these things called team nights and then we did develop and development nights. Mm-hmm. So our team nights were once a quarter, our teams got together and we brought, I don't know, food. We brought board games. We brought movies. We had childcare provided. And it was just a time for us to get together and be, be in community, community together. Yeah. The other thing we did was called development nights where we would focus solely on certain areas of ministry, whether that was tech, whether that mm-hmm. was live stream, whether that was vocal teams, whether that was the band, whether that was sound and audio. And we would just get together for like 90 minutes, like, I don't know, like a Thursday night. And what we would do is we would really, we would pray, we would share a devotion and be like, guys, you guys are great volunteers. We love you. What questions do you have and how can we help serve you better because you serve us and serve the church? So, you know, let's just use uh, one of our media guys. You know, I really, I'm really understanding per presenter really well. However, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do X. Is there a thing that you can show me to improve this? Mm -hmm. Front Front of house guy goes, you know, our front of house sounds really good, but our live stream mix isn't that great. What can we do to bump that up or improve that? Vocal vocal development night. You know, we get our vocal teams together. Um, I'm just not feeling confident about this. I'm not. I, I'm more of a background singer. I don't want to lead a song, but I want to get to the point where I can lead a song if asked. Um, yeah. Instrumental. Like we, depending on the size of your team, you could just get together. And Paul Balash is one of my favorite worship leaders of all time. Um, and I've shared about him before on the show. He's written a ton of worship songs over the years. But he also did these things called leadership uh, leadership uh, worship focus. nights or no, not focus, but they're um, that's funny. Um, it doesn't matter. the uh, The focus of his thing was he he would he would talk about the church that he used to serve at years ago in Texas. And his band would get together on a Friday night and they would just jam and play together for like, you know, two, three hours. He said like all their kids were super young and they were kicking down chairs in the sanctuary because they had folding chairs back then. But he was like, we really just had a time together where we would just play as musicians and get to know each other and and feel how we could better improve upon uh, how we played together as a team versus, okay, here's my worship music and here's the four chords and here's what I need to do. And you know what I mean? Like it wasn't as structured as it is on a Sunday morning. And that way you could really, you know, I think a lot of times folks get so hyper-focused on what they have to sing or what they have to play that they forget that there's a little bit of flexibility in that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, th- I think there's a number of ways you can go with, with team building in the, in the local church and not have to spend a lot of money. Um, if you can afford a consultant, great. We've had, uh, I've been in situations where we've hired, you know, a consultant to come in and what they do is they, they show up at church, um, on a Sunday morning and they get to know folks, they get to know staff and lay leaders and volunteers, and they'll sit in on our services. And then they have uh, lunch with our, our staff and lunch with our elders. And then they have breakout sessions with the volunteers and really, um, think, 
think broadly on how we can improve our church ministry situation just to make it better. Um, I think it's interesting that folks don't really, people really get into the, the rote is roteness a word, Scott. I don't know if that is a word or not. So like if something is rote, you just wash and repeat over and over again. Right. And so I think so many times we get into the mode of things being rote in the church that we, we don't see things when they go wrong or we don't see things that we can improve upon. And that can be a blinder, as I said earlier, and it can be a struggle for some churches because they think it's just fine and they just let it happen, which, you know, in some circumstances, small churches can't really fix those things. They, they don't have the staff. They don't have the volunteers. They don't have uh, certain things, but like there are also resources out there that help you, that can help people improve upon, you know, online church or help people improve running sound or help people, um, make their slides look better on a Sunday morning. Like there are things out there that are super free. Right. And yeah, very helpful. Is that kind of where you wanted to go with this conversation? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think especially like, you know, as a leader, always think about what you can do to always improve your teams. Cause I think kind of the trap that a lot of churches, especially like your small to mid-side churches is let's say you have a leadership team. Let's say you have a board of elders and you have people who are on the board. It's their time to come off the board. Mm. New people come in. And if everything you do is always based in the boardroom, there's a certain type of mentality that comes in that. Like, for example, the example you gave about they would just get together on Friday night and jam, just have jam sessions. Um, you know, that kind of breaks attention that, oh, every time I walk into a church with my instrument, it's okay, let's go through the worship set, let's work on some upcoming songs. And it's very, very business like. When you walk into a boardroom, you're thinking, okay, we're here to discuss business. We're not here to play Pictionary. Um, there's a certain type of feel for it. So, when you do have new people that are coming into your leadership teams, instead of saying, hey, welcome to the team, let's get right down to business, you know, have that moment to say, okay, we're going to take a trip where we're going to go into the fellowship hall and we're going to do a couple of fun. And really the only thing we're going to do this business meeting is do some team building, do some icebreakers, Let's get to know each other and, you know, talk a little bit about kind of what we see as far as where the direction we feel God's leading us as a church and kind of talk about how our skill set, our personalities, the things that we love, how that's going to fit into the overall structure of the of the church. Um, as far as how to do that well, I mean, there there's a lot of options. Like, you know, I mentioned I got trained from being at camp. Um, so if you're an organization that still has a camping ministry and have like youth summer camps and you kind of know that they do do some type of team building element, call call the camp director, call those who are at, above in your state organization saying, hey, my tr- I know over at Camp, camp Wesley or Camp Marengo, they have a they do team building because um, my students were talking about it. I would like to ha- hire somebody or see if who I can contact to talk to somebody over there to maybe run a workshop or a one day thing at our church. You know, there's that's one way you can do it. Uh, the guy who trained me in um, doing um, team building, he actually wrote a book, um, which I'm looking on Amazon. I can't seem to find it, but I believe it's because I spelled his name wrong. I can't remember how his name is spelled. But um, but even with that, like, uh, you know, there's good books out there that you can really look at. And I would say even that, like, you could do a lot of GBIs, which are ground-based initiatives, where you're on the ground, you're doing stuff. But you can also do stuff where you're, 
elevated, where you're on beams, where you're on planks, where you're on platforms, and not super high, maybe about six inches off the ground. And that was one thing I did when I was at my last church is I actually built a um, a team building structure, just a platform and a couple of beams. And I ended up doing that for my first year I was in Virginia. I did that with a group. And to the, to the point where there was a school down the road from us that was called Genesis. Um, and they really were like the organization where if you got kicked out of school or suspended or expelled, instead of hanging out at home, you went to this school and you still got your work done, but you, but it was like strongly disciplined because they want to work on like discipline issues. And they hired me to come out and do team building with them. And I did that for them until the end of the school year. And it was pretty good. But I mean, those were rough kids. Those were like kids who were like swearing all the time. Kids who literally the first sign of an obstacle or issues or trouble, they would say, oh, you know, bleep this. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And then as I kept asking questions, or at least I kept trying to lead them, they started to get it done. And eventually they finished it. And then they were so excited and happy. And then we got to break it down. Like, you know, why why is it that you kind of quit halfway through while well, I got frustrated? Yeah, so, you know, you got frustrated. But the thing is, is this wasn't impossible. You could do it. Sometimes we just have to change those feelings and those frustrations instead of using it as a way to say, you know, I'm done, I'm leaving. And then throwing a big fit. How can you channel that energy to really think about, okay, what's a different way I can look at this obstacle to overcome it and and talk about things in their life? Like, how does this relate to school? Because obviously you're here for a reason. It's not like they just send kids who want to go to this uh, detention school. Like you're, you're here because something happened where you reacted in a way that got you here. So how can your reaction, even if you're upset, even if you're frustrated, how can you change your reaction in a more positive way to help you get what you want and not get sent down to Genesis anymore? And within that short amount of time, like the students who were there, like talking with, um, the uh, head of Genesis before they ended up leaving, they ended up moving out to Waynesboro and they weren't next door to us anymore. But he was saying some of those kids who were constants, who were constants, they go, they leave, they come back. Like he hasn't seen them because he, and he believes that the team building stuff I did worked and it helped kind of in some ways rehabilitate those kids to think in a different way when they did have these raw emotions. And I think that's a big thing. Like how many board members, act on based off raw emotion and sometimes in the most negative ways like there's ways where you could probably say hey when you guys have conflict when you guys have issues when you disagree with each other on a certain avenue you want to go in this ministry or the direction the church needs to go how do you have those conversations very respectfully and how can you be open to listening to other people's comments and i think those are the things that i think are worthwhile to team building so yeah if you have a camp go there there's some good books and and i wouldn't just buy any book i'd say hey here's a book let me see if i can get it in my library and then read through it And if you're just like oh it's all icebreakers and that's not a thing you want if there's something where you're physically moving you know you're being blindfolded you have a thing where you're passing objects around um and sometimes with these team building books they'll say like well here's kind of the goal of these games if you're if you notice that there's a disconnect in your ministry where people are just not listening to each other, here is a game that's going to improve listening skills. So there's a lot of avenues that you can go to that's going to be high quality, but also may not bust the bank if you don't have the budget for it. Hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, free resources out there, like I mentioned earlier, that people don't even realize. Mm-hmm. and um, but I think the first thing that people have to realize is I think people have to be willing to, 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 to do these things, to, to be better, right. To, um, especially in volunteer spaces and churches, like it's not just mark your territory. This is my area of ministry. Don't tell me how to do this. You know, being very, like I said, territorial, uh, 
when you talk about um, serving in a local church. And it's like, you know, you got to have buy-in, right? And it's it's hard when you walk into a situation like a board meeting, like you said earlier, Scott, and say, hey, I think we need to improve on this and this. Who's willing? And you've got a group of folks in there who aren't. And how do you have those conversations? It's it's hard when you don't have that buy-in from from elders or staff members or leaders who don't see their own blind spots. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the challenge I think a lot of churches face today, especially being smaller because they don't want to grow and they don't want to change. And I'm not saying... Um, I'm not saying this to be crass, but like the reality is that if you don't change the way you do things and don't change and, you know, get new families in your church and get younger families in your church and get more people involved in the life of your church, your church isn't going to be there. Like you talk about churches that close their doors, churches just don't close their doors because of, you know, uh, you know, an affair that a pastor has or, Churches just don't close their doors because somebody's embezzled money. Churches close their doors because people die and then they don't have anybody left. Um, And that's a sad reality. So that's why it's important to build teams, you know, and equip teams. And, you know, I had a professor in seminary, used to Dr. Guy Brewer at Anderson. I don't know if you had him for anything, Scott. Wonderful guy. But he taught on pastoral care and ethics and Dr. Guy Brewer always used to say that Jesus had 12 and he'd always ask us, who are our 12? Mm-hmm. And if you have 12 and Scott, you have 12 and I have 12 and Alicia has 12 and Laura has 12, right? That's, that's 48. That's a lot of people. And if those 48 all have 12, like that's how you grow the church. And if you have good teams in place and you have that good development in place and you have, um, if you do retreats every year where you can have icebreakers and be vulnerable with people and have um, spaces where you can get super close with folks, mm-hmm. your teams are going to be healthier and they're going to grow as a result, not just grow in numbers, but grow in personality and grow in health uh, and be stable as a church community, which is going to be strong for when folks come in and they want to be a part of that. And that's the other side of it too. If you're strong and the church is growing. The success, you know, could largely be in part to the health of the church. If people come in off the streets or come in and visit and realize, hey, this is a pretty healthy space. I wonder why they're so healthy. Well, they have good teams in place. They have good ethics in place. They have good standards in place. They have mm-hmm. all these things that come together for the betterment of the ministry. And um, the church will be better off because of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, maybe you're kind of stuck in that rut. Maybe you're feeling like, man, I feel like my leadership team are always stuck. We're always having the same arguments. We're still having the same debates year after year after year and nothing's changing. Well, bringing someone who does team building, bringing something. And and that's the one thing that I think is key too that I don't that I want to kind of discuss very quickly is sometimes people get stuck in ruts not because of um ignorance or because they're just stubborn or because they're just uneducated. Sometimes they get stuck in ruts because the way something is being communicated or presented is not clicking. I have mm. a student who's a who's a who's a ballet dancer and has been dancing with the Columbus Dance Theater for years. And every summer they go to like ballet camp. Her uh, younger sister went to a camp down in Orlando, Florida, and she ended up going to a camp in um in um Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. And it was interesting. I was talking to uh, her mom and she was saying how there are certain dance moves or certain techniques that she could do well, but not to that certain level of um, perfection, I guess. And um, she said that there's some 
for some reason, you know, she's been dancing for years, have had the same teachers for years, has improved. But, you know, you kind of get to that point where you get stuck because you're so used to someone's style teaching and leadership. And then all of a sudden goes to Philadelphia and instantly the way they describe something, the way they describe the dance move, a technique, it clicked. And it had nothing to do with the skill. It had nothing to do with the person. It just, the way the person presented to her was different than what she had been told. And for some reason, that was the one thing that ended up clicking. It's the one, that's why when we go into education, so many times it's like, have all these different models because there's going to be some kids who may not understand or get a certain, how to do a certain math problem, but then you have a different way of approaching it and instantly it clicks. It's like, okay, I now get it. I understand. I mean, mm-hmm. that whole, like, what what was, what's the new math craze now that they do that people are all in a uproar about the last couple of years? You have kids in school. I have no idea. I can't remember, but I mean, I didn't understand. I thought, well, that's stupid. Like, why are we breaking it down so much? That doesn't make sense. Uh, but then I think I watched a video where someone explained it and I was like, oh, people tell me how to parallel park. I learned out and I couldn't figure it out. I watched a video on YouTube and I was able to figure it out by a video. So people have different styles of learning. And I think sometimes that's, that's okay. So team building does bring that to the table. It may, you may have a elder board or a, or a church leader that doesn't seem to get out of the same rut. And it could be just having a simple team building activity that kind of breaks that mold and they go, okay, I now understand the vision of the church. Okay. I understand what pastor's trying to get us to do to be an efficient and better team. So there it is. So friends, thank you so much for listening again. Um, you can find books on team building. If you know people within your organizations that do team building, like at camps, reach out, contact them saying, Hey, can I have the number of the uh, camp director at this camp? Cause I'm curious about having someone do team building at my church. Like, and especially, for, you know, there's a lot of affordable options. And if you have the means to go find somebody and hire somebody, um, you know, there's some good people out there. And you could just do an easy search and really kind of find someone that kind of fits your needs. But, guys, that's going to be it for us today. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And we will be back on with another episode. Take care. Take care.